I know you're all sad because you don't get to hear that music next week. Um, uh, our, this is kind of the end of our summer series this morning, and I guess that's a, that could be happy and that could be sad. The happy part is is the, the message about all the doom and gloom are over. Um, the, uh, whoa, hello. Um, the, uh, the happy part, is, I guess the sad part is then, as far as that's concerned, is this. That also means the summer series is over, which means summer is over, which means all your kids are back in school. But then on the other side, that's happy, right? Okay, so there's all this emotion going up and down and up and down. But this morning, I really kind of hope to share with you a message out of Malachi that really is happy and happier. Um, You can read through the book of Malachi, and you can see a lot of different trends, a lot of different threads that run through there. Yes, there's the darkness. Yes, there's still the gloom and destruction. But there's some amazing passages of hope. There's some amazing thoughts of a future, of what God has in store for us. And I hope, that, I hope that as we walk through the minor prophets, that's what you've seen. The idea that you and I are called to be faithful more than anything else. We should also be called to sit closer to the front because it's really empty right here. Okay, um, Just as I look and we're like, wow, that's empty. But, um, but as far as that's concerned, we should be, we're called to be faithful. We're called to be um, in that sense, almost a hopeless romantic for God, to be true to him in every sense of the word. And that's really this journey that we went on this summer is this idea of what it means to follow. And we're going to kind of pick that up and kind of expound on that a little bit. But I really would encourage you to read through, because one of the things about Malachi is when you get into the fourth chapter, um, which is very short, if you're going, I can't read very many verses this week, Malachi chapter four, you can handle that one. Um, the fascinating part is it comes right out and it talks about the day of the Lord. And it's not just talking about the day of the Lord is coming. It's talking about the day of the Lord and Jesus Christ has come. But it's also talking about a future hope of glory. Um, so it's not just this premonition of what's going to happen after this 400 years of silence, which happens directly after the book of Malachi, where God would not speak. No one would hear from him until all of a sudden there was a voice from an angel. And God's voice would be heard. And then we know the story of Jesus and his life. And that's preceded, that's prophesied in the book of Malachi. And I really would encourage you to look through that, especially these last two with some of the beautiful prophecy that's happening. But, you know, I I don't know about you, but I look at the news. I look at the newspaper. um, I go out and I grab my uncle's newspaper about twice a week. And I I read just the front cover of the Akron Beacon Journal. I'm, I'm almost appalled at some of the stories that are there anymore. But, you know, I don't know that we've ever lived in a time when things have changed faster or that change has been thrust upon us faster than it is in today's society. I want you to think about the things that you've seen in your life change. I remember my dad talking about all the time when, you know, they had, um, they had the outdoor latrine, okay? They had the outhouse. And then they had the potbelly stove, which pretty much was the only thing they had to warm the entire house up. That's all they had. And then I started to read some stuff in the paper about one of the oldest people that had lived, especially in the state of Ohio, and it just, she just passed away in January of this year. Lisa Brown, or Lisey Brown, was 114 years old and 109 days. When you get past 100, they start to count the days, okay? If I get past 100, I'm counting the hours, baby. I'm counting everything. But um, I'm just saying, when you're that old, you count every moment that you have. But I want you to think about the changes that happened in her lifetime. She was born in the day of horse-drawn carriages. I mean, 
That's amazing. We, we take so much for granted. She was born with outdoor plumbing, if she was lucky. Um, she was born when flu and pneumonia were the two largest killers of the time, leading causes of death. In her life, she saw the advent of, yes, indoor plumbing, of indoor heating and air conditioning. She saw radio and television, the first airplane flight, literally, I mean, from the Wright brothers. She saw the first man to the moon and the first man on the moon. She saw the rise and fall of Hitler, of Stalin, of the USSR, of Saddam Hussein. She saw so many amazing things in her life, and yet change is one of those things that's going to happen, right? You can look back, and I can look back at the times that I've, just since the 55 years that I've been alive and the changes that have happened. The way that cars are made now, it amazes me. Self-driving, self-parking. I remember how many times my dad made me learn how to parallel park, and now all i got to do is push a button. Man, I don't, my car doesn't do that, but I think it would be pretty cool if you could trust it enough. I don't know that I could trust technology that much. But I want you to think about that, the change that's happened. And it is good to know that as we walk through the Scripture, as we look through the Scripture, that there is something, there is someone that is completely un changeable, that has never changed since the very beginning of time. And it's in Malachi 3, verse 6, that we read these words. It should be up on the screen. For I, the Lord, do not change. I do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. So that means what? His word doesn't change. His word does not change. That's how one of the reasons we know that God doesn't change. Matthew 24, 35 says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means pass away. Psalm 119, 160, All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. I want you to listen, and listen really closely to this quote. It's long, and I thought about shortening it, but it's too good to shorten it. I want you to just listen about God's word. A.Z. Conrad said it this way, The Bible is God's highway to paradise. It's a light on the pathway to, dark, to the darkest night. It leads businessmen to integrity and uprightness. It's a great consoler in bereavement. It awakens men and women dulled by sin. It's the answer to every great question of the human soul. It solves every problem of life. It's a fortress often attacked but never failing. Its wisdom is, command, is commanding. Its logic is convincing. Salvation is its watchword. And then listen, eternal life is its goal. The Bible punctuates all pretenses. He says it's forward-looking, upward-looking, outward-looking. It outlives, it outlifts, it outloves, it outreaches, it outranks, it outruns all other books. And when men and women trust in it, eternal life is theirs. You know, there's a reason why we challenge you and we encourage you to read God's Word. It's right there. Because it never changes. It never changes. But it's not just God's Word that never changes. God's will never changes. It has always has been and always will be His will that every man, every woman, every boy, every girl could be saved. In 2 Peter 3, 9, we see these words. The Lord is slow to anger to fulfill His Slowed is not slow to fulfill his promise. 
as some would count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that what? That all should receive repentance. That all. That everyone in this world that has walked the face of this earth, that everyone that is alive now and tomorrow should reach repentance. Why? Because the wages of sin will always lead to death. Romans 6.23 tells us that. And it's our hearts that need to change. We need to change. Why? Because the wickedness of this world will never change. And we have to be careful. Why? Because every day that change is pouring upon us. They're trying to change our minds. They're trying to change our attitudes. They're trying to change our hearts. And we must stay strong. In 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm sorry to tell you that. It's not going to be easy. You will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. It's not easy being a Christian. It's not easy living the life that we've been called to live. As we walk through the minor prophets, you've seen the stories of how they fell away and came back. They fell away and they came back. And God wants us to stay faithful. And because his word never changes and his will never changes, honestly, that means that the mission of the church, the mission of the church will never change. Ephesians 3, 10 and 11 says this, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized, realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. What? That God's glory would be made known to everyone, from the highest office to the lowest office, that you and I might understand. And that mission never changes. And the world would push sin as far as it possibly can. Listen, the only barrier, the only barrier between how far the world will go in sin that leads to destruction is the church. That's it. The only one that calls anyone's to righteousness is the church. That's our job. That's our duty. It's to call people to understand the truth. And what? Why? Because the truth then will set them free. That's our cry. We're the barrier between what's wrong in the world and what's right in the world. Between what is darkness and what is light. It is up to us, the church of Jesus Christ, to stand up and to live the life we've been called to live. That's exactly what Malachi is saying. And he says it so much that, listen, in the end of 6 and in 7 it says this, Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. From the days your fathers have turned aside from the statues and have not kept them, there's the darkness, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. You and I are called to return, to return to God. The good news is, is we're not consumed. The NIV actually uses the term destroyed. We're not overwhelmed in that sense. And God reminds us once again of his promise. He reminds the people that day of their promise, but he's reminding us of the promise over and over and over again. That no matter what they have done, no matter what you and I have done, no matter how far we have run, that we can still come back to him. Yes, they have turned away, but all they need to do is turn back. I don't know about you, but 
you ever use your GPS or even your phone now, does it? Do they talk to you? Um, you can change the voices. I always like that. Um, something about that, I said, made a comment one time, I don't like a woman telling me which direction to go. <laughs> but, um, but it's still there um, uh, as far as it's concerned. But I want you to think about this. If you're going the wrong way and you make the wrong turn, what does the GPS say? Recalculating. I despise that word because there are times that I just want to go the way I know to go. Okay? And instead it tells you which way you're supposed to go. And if you don't, instantly we were going to Columbus, I mean, Michigan a couple weeks ago, and I kept saying, make a U-turn. I was like, I'm not making a U-turn. I know I'm going north, and I know I need to go west. That's all I need to know. I'll get there. They kept saying, make a U-turn. I was like, no, recalculate. I don't want to recalculate. I'm going to go this way. Trust me, if you ever ride with me, you'll just figure it out. But um, that, I know the way I'm supposed to go. That's the way it's supposed to go. Listen. It's simple, folks. When you're going the wrong way in life, and all of a sudden God says it's time to recalculate, it's time to turn around. It's time to turn around. And I'm not talking about in your car, I'm talking about your life. We have this big church word that we use right there. There's this word that literally means to turn around, to make a 180, and it's called repentance. To turn away from your sin and back toward God, to turn back toward the right direction, to turn around. It is this idea of returning to God. And the crazy part is, is God gives us this choice. And sometimes we make good choices, sometimes we don't make choices. And when we don't make the choice we need to make, sometimes other people make them for us. Ronald Reagan, most of you probably still remember that name. Ronald Reagan, when he was young, um, his aunt was taking him to get shoes. Now, Back in that day and age, you couldn't go to Walmart, couldn't go to Payless Shoes. You had to go to a shoe cobbler to have your shoes made. So his aunt took him to the shoe cobbler, and the very first question the shoe cobbler asked him was, do you want square toes or do you want round toes? You all know what I mean. And then Brown O'Regan looked at him and says, you know, I really don't know. He says, well, get back to me in a couple days so I can start to make your shoes. A couple days later, the shoe cobbler saw Mr. Young Reagan on the uh, street, and he says, hey, did you decide about your shoes yet, round or square? And he goes, well, I really don't know. A week later, he receives a package from his aunt, size of a shoebox. He opens up his shoes, and he says, when he opened up the shoes, he looked in the box, and there was one shoe with a square toe and one shoe with a round toe. And his mom and his aunt made him wear those shoes. And he said for the next year, every time that he put them on, he was reminded, if I can't make a choice, if I can't make a decision in my life, someone will make it for me. Folks, we all have a decision to make. Are we going to follow God and give him all of our heart, or are we going to give him part of our heart? Because I don't know about you, I don't really want to rock around with two different kinds of shoes. I want to make the right decision. I want to return to the way God wants me to. It was in the days of Joshua that we see this famous verse. It's kind of been our catchphrase in our lives since we got married. Choose for yourself this day who you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Are you going to serve God with all of your heart and with all of your mind? You say it's easy to say that. It's another thing to live it. 
And I want to encourage you that what you have to do is stop looking inside, stop looking for others' opinions, and just sometimes just stop, and as I talked about last week, look up. But Malachi tells the people to return to God, and he will return to them. Start to think about what's it mean to return. You know, I'm sure you've gotten packages for Christmas, or you've gotten some for your for a, a wedding, or maybe for a baby shower, or maybe for a birthday, and it didn't fit. Or you put it on and went, oh, that is just not me. Okay? And you thought, well, i got to return it to the store. So when you return it, hopefully you return it, and it's one of those stores that's no excuses, no repercussions, no judgment. A return is just that, it's a return. But when you return it, you're returning it to the place where you got it. Returning it to its owner. That's exactly the words. That's exactly what the phrase is being used here. Return to me. Come back to the one who owns you. Come back to the one who wants you in life. To the original place. And what? And I will return to you. Set your heart and mind on me and I will come back into your life. Somehow along the line, we make that so difficult. And God makes it so true. Sometimes we want to think, hey, what does that look like? Is it lip service? It's easy to say, hey, you know, I know where I am. I'm living my life the way I need to live it every single day. Or is it life service? No, I am living my life the way it is called to live. In the times when I'm alone, in the times when I'm in a crowd, in the times when I'm in my family, I'm living my life the way I need to live. A Pharisee once approached Jesus and asked him what was the most important command of the law. And Jesus replied simply this out of Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God. And I need some help here. What's it say? With what? With all your heart. And with all your soul. And with... Is there, is there any doubt with he, what he wants you to give? It's not this part-time stuff. It's not this kind of sort of want to think about for a while stuff. It's I want to give you all. All that I am all that I have, and all that I hope to be. God wants our all. Not just a little bit, he wants it all. And it takes us really to the rest of our passage this morning. I want to read verses 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes, in your contributions? You are cursed with a curse. For you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And therefore, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, that if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God has said, when you give me a complete return and you come back to me completely, that means a changed heart giving completely. Listen, I, I don't want this to be a sermon about giving, but I don't think we can talk about what it means to live a godly life, to live a life for an unchangeable God and not give and not understand what that's all about. Does God need your tithe? No. And my leaders will probably shoot me for saying that. God doesn't need it. The church does. If we're going to carry out the mission that God has given to us, we do. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. 
He doesn't need our wealth. And when we talk about tithe, understand we're talking about a 10%, but we're also talking about what is commanded of us. Abraham gave a tithe because of how God had blessed him. Our offerings are over and above our tithe. And I know that's, that's a sermon for a whole other day. But you and I are called to give. And to give, why? Because God wants us to. Let me give you, and I'm just going to walk through these, three simple reasons why I think we should tithe. Because God knows that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The scripture tells us that. So where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he wants to see whether we trust him or not. Do we trust God more than we trust our checkbook? Where does our trust lie? What did Malachi 3.10 say? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this. I want you to think about that. What would it be like to test God? God tells us to test him. See what happens in your life. See what happens when you give. See what happens when you're faithful. See what happens when you give life service and not just lip service. See what happens in your life when you test him. The New Testament church was trying to do that. They were selling everything they had and giving the money to the church, and the church was reaching out, and they were helping the poor and the needy and the widows and the orphans. And then along comes Ananias and Sapphira, so you start to sing the song, if you know it. And they, cons- they conspired a plot. Now, we can sell everything. We can say to the church we gave everything, but not really give everything. And it wasn't in the sense that they sold everything. That was a good thing. It wasn't in the sense that they gave to the church. That was a good thing. The problem is they lied about what they gave. And guess what? They didn't walk out the doors. They were carried out the doors. Now, that's not... hope that doesn't happen this morning. Okay? Um, that's not what's going to happen. But I'm trying to tell you that when we are true with God and we live our lives the way God wants us to, God is faithful beyond any amount of measure that you and I can possibly think of. And God wants to change our hearts, and tithing changes us. It makes us rely on Him. David Hill once observed this, that tithing is not God's way of raising money. It's God's way of raising of making men depend on God. And God wants to reward us when you and I step out in faith. I love that idea that he'll throw open the floodgates. What happens when you open the gates? Water just rushes in. It pours in so fast you can't even imagine it. And when we give to God and when we're faithful to God and when we serve him with all of our hearts, his floodgates will be open and the riches will pour in. And I'm not necessarily talking about wealth and money and the things that you can pad your checkbook with. I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about people that come into your lives to fill your lives with love. People that are there in the worst times of your life. People that are there in the best times of your life. The friendships that you've made, maybe because you're part of the church, are amazing ways for God to fill your life in that sense. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this, that each man should give what he has 
decide in his own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't give because I tell you to give. For God loves a cheerful giver. Our giving must be an act of love. Little boy was helping his grandpa. Was out doing some chat tasks and duties, and grandpa decided to pay him with ten one dollar bills. Well, that night he was all excited. He had ten bucks, and he's counting it out. And mom could hear him in the bedroom: one, two, three, four. Two or three times he counts through it. And then the last time he counts through it, he goes, one, this one's for God. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And this one's for God, too. Well, mom knocks on the door, comes in and goes, hey, honey, I just heard you outside. She goes, I just want to make sure, do you understand the whole tithe idea? Because tithing on $10 should be $1. And he goes, well, yeah, Mom. But God says I have to give him that. I gave him the other one because I wanted to. That's the attitude that God wants us to give him. That's the attitude that God wants it to us to pour our hearts out and share in that sense. It's funny, Dr. James McCord, one time former president emeritus of the Princeton University Theological School. Said he was talking to a man who commented that he was never coming back to a particular church because every time he showed up, all they did was talk about give, 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 give. Dr. McCord observed, he said, I can't think of a better definition for Christianity than just that. To give, 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 give. Because that's exactly what God gives you. Friends, we can look through the minor prophets and see amazing stories about how they were unfaithful, and all of a sudden, God became faithful. But it wasn't God who became faithful. It was when people came back to their faith. It was when people returned to this unchangeable God that was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And how people came back to the God, the one who they knew was there, who they knew they needed to love. They could see his presence in so many ways. And their lives were drastically changed. But they were changed for the good. They were changed because they had turned their lives over to him. And Malachi is simply telling the people, return to God and just see what's going to happen. We can listen to the naysayers in our world today. We can listen to the news. We can listen to the people that say that the church is downsliding, that it's failing and it's falling. Listen, the church is the salvation of the world. The message that we have to share is the only message that can save. The only one. And you and I are called to a greater purpose to go out and share that hope. Share that life and just watch as God opens those floodgates and gives us more than we could possibly ever imagine. And I believe that's not just in wealth. I believe that's not just in riches with friendships and relationships. People, I believe that's in the, the days that the church is going to be full, where people are going to be looking and needing something that they can't find anywhere else in this empty world. And God says, it's right here. And it's always been right here. And it will always be right here. Just stand up and believe. Father, thank you.
thank you for these amazing messages and these men that were so faithful in the midst of despair, some of them preaching messages that they never dreamed that they would have to share, that they never wanted to share, that they never had hope to share. But Father, I pray that you would just help us that in our walk, that in our life, we can make one final return and stay true, stay real, live the life you've called us to live, a life of service, a life of love, a life of devotion, a life filled with your presence and with your spirit. And if there's someone here that needs to make that decision today, Lord, I pray that you would help them to do that, to find Jesus in their heart, to put him in their soul, and to return to him. In your name we pray.